This here is an audio drama podcast from Weird Audio Productions, the home of psychedelic sci-fi and surreal audio adventures. Weird Audio Productions proudly presents the 8th Emergency Satellite Broadcast from the Future, entitled Thrice, the Universal Wave Function, or I Know Where Your Batteries Are Hidden, by Davy Ferguson. Eternal Copyright Davy Ferguson and Weird Audio Productions. Weird Audio Productions is a not for profit audio production, narrow boat house. While returning from Terabilius to Moontros, the starfish craft halts above Luna to recapture Lady Jane's lost pair of drone video cameras. Captain Spud and Lady Jane are out in space when Spuddy announces to Jane that he is in need of a holiday. Cynthia has suggested that Slight and myself, after our recent nefarious lovemaking session with the multidimensional projector, and also accidentally including Cynthia herself in the event, our brains are now near completely in sync for the possibility to make the starfish spacecraft travel through time as well as space. Lady Jane replies all full of enthusiasm. Well, Spud E, that sounds like a grandiose adventure in time and space that any adventurous lady worth her salt would jump at. But I can't do that right now. Besides, I think my Chester would consider an adventure in time an unnecessary risk for me to undertake right now. He is still struggling with the idea of himself and me going on an expedition to explore the Elohim teletransportation network. Spuddy smiles through his helmet visor at the aristocratic lady's earnest face and says, Lady Jane's face flushes behind her visor screen. Oh no, my Chester is not like that. He means everything to me, as I do to him. He well knows what line of business I am involved in, and he accepts my adventuristic lifestyle. Just then Captain Spud grabs the second lost drone video camera in his gloved hand that had been evading his reach.
Inside the main teletransportation cavern, all the citizenry are gathered to see the returned crew of the Starfish spacecraft. There is a special dais built on the center of Platform 1 to accommodate the Moontros Mayor, Greta T, and her honored guests. The first to be greeted is Lady Jane Storm with her attendant bodyguard and beau, Chester P. Crimes. As the couple take the few steps up the side of the dais to be honored by the mayor, Greta T, the whole crowd erupts with applause and cheers. Even Captain Spud and Slight, who are up on top of a cherry picker with the Lady Jane TV camera girl, because Spud E doesn't like claustrophobic inducing crowds, are applauding from on high. As Greta T, hands the couple a type of papyrus scroll each, Slight asks her man. What is written on these scrolls then? Oh yeah, it's an official citizenship document that our new mayor has introduced. We didn't have them in the early days of the moon base, we were just grateful to be alive and breathing air for another day of the dawning of Muntro's base. You old fraud spuddy, you told me you inherited your half of the original moon base when the evil android overlord was charged and convicted of the murder of his wife in absentia by the courts on the far side of the moon, and the underground base was a palatial palace when it was legally handed over to you. Yes alright. So we had life support, power, a water supply and hydroponics, but I was the one who had the vision and drive to turn Muntros into a free state, independent from planet Earth. It was me and Ziggy using the alien space cruiser that I stole, after it crash-landed in Farmer O'Connor's potato field, to travel to friendly extraterrestrial inhabited planets, to seek help from talented alien entities, like the alien archaeologist and extraterrestrial technologies, to build a thriving independent successful moon base that Muntros has started to become. Spuddy, don't mount your hobby horse again, it only tires you so. I was only teasing you. I am proud to be a citizen of Muntros, but I would like a naturalization scroll like Lady Jane is receiving now. I would cherish it so as the scroll would be a treasured emblem of your love for me. Would it really mean that much to you, beloved? Yes, sweetie, it would mean everything, to so be. For me to be the first naturalized synthetic human being, yes, of course, it would fill my spirit with such joy. Leaning against the guardrail on the cherry picker high above the crowd, slight hugs Spud E as they fall into a long sensual kiss. Then they are interrupted by Mayor Greta T, calling Slight's name. Slight, Slight my girl where are you? I also have a scroll to present to you. The crowd roars, she is up there. Come on down Miss Slight, I can't fly that high. Quickly Captain Spud is at the controls of the giant cherry picker and slowly overhead of the crowd, Slight glides down to the dais to receive her naturalization scroll. The Elohim tube train that Mr. Voss, Snide and Flykiller had rushed onto, in their haste to beat a retreat from planet Terribilius with Lady Jane Storm's stolen Elohim necklace, was apparently the first in a program of interstellar test journeys. The Terribilian archaeologists' Temple of Twelve were quick off the mark. After they had paid Lady Jane Storm for permission to take a copy of her Elohim necklace and paid the per annum licensing fee, the Temple of Twelve instantly gave their technicians a command to upload all the data on their copy of the Elohim artifact into the machinery of the teletransportation system. Upon receiving this data, the machinery of the teletransportation system's first command was to send out several explorer tube trains to test the network's tracks as in layman's terms so to speak. So this is why Mr. Voss, 
Snide and Flykiller are in the end carriage with a troop of crash test dummies, which has just abruptly stopped moving through an electromagnetic tunnel to the planet. Kate's Hell's Teeth. Why have we stopped now? When we're so close to what is obviously a destination planet? Hey Voss man, the crash test dummies are just as agitated about the situation as we are man. Yeah Mr. Voss, chill out. I am sure the CT dummies will sort it soonest. You seem to have more faith in public transport than I do my dear young lady. The crash test dummies are now lining up in the aisle. Each with their right hand lightly placed on the right shoulder of the dummy in front and march slowly forward with the leader taking them through into the next carriage and onwards to the front of the tube train. Sny gets up and gesticulates to the other two passengers to join the tail end of the crocodile line as she is doing. Resignedly Mr. Voss says, You could be right snide. Let's go where the action is to be seen. Right on Voss man. By the time Mr. Voss's party has reached the entrance to the front carriage, which is fitted out as a maintenance center and most of the crash test dummies are sitting at their workstations except one. He is the boss man of the maintenance gang. The boss gang leader is gesticulating for the three stowaways to move through the maintenance cabin and rest themselves on what appears to be a very comfortable four-seater sofa at the front of the carriage where a massive large round video screen is displaying an image of a portion of the tube train's destination planet which is called Icades. And how do I know the planet is called Icades? I know because it is written on the big round screen in front of where Mr. Voss and his companions are comfortably sitting at the head of the carriage. And how am I able to read ancient Elohim script? Well, because when I was a young lad attending infant school, it was suggested to my worried mother by the local district nurse that a course of antigobbledygook pills and a tablespoonful of maltose syrup daily would cure my word blindness or what is now called dyslexia. Which if you don't mind me saying, is a very cruel word for a dyslexic person to try to spell, in my humble opinion. So anyway, no breeding Dougie Adams's babel fish in a goldfish bowl for this science fiction script writer. I am of the old school, a course of anti-gobbledygook pills and a tablespoonful of maltose syrup on a daily basis, and I am fluent in any extraterrestrial language. My father in the past, on the other hand has always wished that I had been abducted by aliens at birth, but I like to think it happened as an exchange. One night his beautiful baby boy was abducted by extraterrestrial aliens with a sense of humor, and I was placed in his son's crib as an abandoned cuckoo alien baby, to bring up on Earth. Can we possibly carry on? We all know you had a hard upbringing. We all did. That's why we're stuck here. Hey just tell us what is going on right now. Pretty please. As you wish my impetuous snide character. The crash test dummies are using a circle of red laser beams to locate the nearest teletransportation station entrance on the surface of Icades. Accuracy is paramount and when they have a connection they will power up the generators for a continuation of the electromagnetic tunnel to exist once more. This disconnection situation has occurred because the universe has intrinsically expanded and all celestial bodies have shifted position since the Elohim star maps were first charted. Leaving gaps in the electromagnetic tunnel network. Realignments like this Ikate's example have to be discovered and reconnected. With this essential repair made, the tube train will reach the underground station on Ikate in no time at all. 
Yes, we have now arrived at the destination teletransportation station. Wow. Even I wasn't expecting that. A swarm of bees, each the size of an emperor penguin, as over time, the station has become a gigantic beehive. Captain Spud, Slight, and Ziggy leave Moontrose and, after a complicated set of maneuvers, mainly involving spinning the Starfish spacecraft in a four-dimensional figure of eight orbit around the Earth and the Moon with ever-increasing velocity. Until the spacecraft appears to explode and then instantly reforms back into the solid shape of the Starfish spacecraft we all know and love. Phew. I am glad that is all over and done with. You telling me, girl? That little time warp shenanigans has fair frazzled my enormous synthetic brain. If you don't mind more capiting, I need to go and have a little lie down now and rest my weary head for a while. So, as they say in all the best Earthling sci-fi serials, you have the Kong, Mr. Spock. All I ask, well actually beg of you is, please don't do anything clinically stupid until I resurface. Cynthia out. Cheeky cat. Well she has got us to wear and when you wanted us to be, Right, Ziggy? The smelly carbon-based life form you so fondly socialize with has kept it a secret from you. But now seems to be a good time to let you in on the mystery location. Yes, Captain Spud? Yes, now is the best time to tell all, slight my love. That gory mess of a planet on Cynthia's viewing screens is my home planet Earth in the year 2053. But why would you want us to go there of all places? Well yesterday I received an urgent beacon message from an old friend, who urgently needs my help. And here was I thinking that my beloved is taking me on a relaxing holiday through time and space, oh Spuddy, how disappointing of you. And who is this friend that has such a pull on your affability to drag us down to that planet and risk such a climate crisis riddled planet as Earth? Well he goes by the name of Quirky. He is a man who suffers from temporal fluctuations. Quirky is a prisoner of time's svelte grip, a man who goes where time and circumstance make a siren's call for his talents. He writes wrongs and he needs my help right now. All very impressive sounding, but I thought that you were really tired and in need of a relaxing holiday, to recharge your philosophical batteries. Would you rather stay up in orbit with Cynthia, or go down to Earth in my upgraded Spuddy One space cruiser, with me and Ziggy? No I will accompany you as your bodyguard, but I won't enjoy the trip at all, just to spite you. Thank you beloved. You won't regret it. Don't bank on it, Spuddy. I am so glad you are traveling down to planet. Miss Light. Your thought does get a tad cranky at times of stress. Tell me about it. No, on second thoughts, don't. Let's just go down to the bloody planet. So the trio leave Cynthia's circumference corridor and head off for the tip of the 12 o'clock appendage, which is the revamped Spuddy One space cruiser that can be detached from the rest of the Starfish spacecraft for planetary journeys just like the present one. Miss Light, I do keep Spuddy One well stopped at all times. You will not lack for luxury items on this little holiday trip. I promise you, dear girl. 
No slumming with the local inhabitants, vagaries then Ziggy? Of course not, my dear girl. You are to be treated like a princess on all journeys aboard my space cruiser, Slight. Hey Ziggy. What about me? You. You smelly carbon-based life form shall be treated as an illegal stowaway. Do you know? I think I might actually enjoy this holiday break after all Spud E. Thank you Ziggy, for that. Having traipsed through many a corridor that has been constructed by the labyrinthine mind of our Cynthia. Spud E, Slight, and Ziggy the silicon-based arachnid CPU floating in a temporal bubble of his own desire, have all arrived at the airlock to the space cruiser. Spidey, before we go straight to the control room, I have a surprise for you, waiting in the hold. It will make your holiday travel in a breeze. Ziggy thinks, the hold, air lock door open and they all step in. Among all the stacked supply crates, there it is the very same satellite supermarket hover trolley that Spuddy stole from the supermarket in Baliwili Island for the trip to his sister Jeta's birthday party at Wicked Wack Manor. Good grief. Good grief. Slight it is the supermarket trolley that saved our lives from the kamikaze John Deere tractor on the Kilberry Road all the time ago. That was the night that my sister Snide was lost to me. Well... She was trying to kill me on that fateful night, Slight. So was I Spuddy, but I changed my mind that black night and fell in love with you, something a synth is not allowed to do. I grew a spirit that decisive night, and I don't regret it, not at all Spuddy, I promise. I lost a sister but gained my man. Now can we change the subject before I suffer another bout of Cynthia-induced, nightmarish psychedelic warning flashes? Of course, beloved, as long as you promise to keep your spirit burning bright for me. Ziggy, I am sure you have thoughtfully made some improvements to our satellite supermarket hover trolley, yeah. Indubitably, you lucky but smelly carbon-based life form. Upgrading antique tech to super performance kit is my modus operandi. I have replaced the antiquated liquid gel batteries with extraterrestrial nanonuclear batteries for a guaranteed eternity of hover travelability. On the environmental front, I have added the latest alien tech. Atmospheric reconstructors to produce more oxygen and to extract carbon dioxide. As to the psyche of the satellite supermarket hover trolley itself, I have left his puppy dog appealing behavioral software intact. That last one may very well be a mistake, Ziggy. No, Mr. Spuddy, it is not a mistake. I am your faithful, happy, bouncing puppy dog of a companion. All I need now is a tail to wag, sire. You really think so? Well, I can make adjustments later, on the road trip, if you demand it be so, Captain. We'll see about the wagging tail later, trolley boy. Nice to have you back on the team again. But I can see you are chomping at the bit to get started on the journey. So to the control room, folks. The control room of the purloined alien space cruiser is all Ziggy's domain. Only Ziggy can pilot the black triangular craft, in fact he was designed and manufactured to be a rather pretty sophisticated, silicon-based arachnid life form in a temporal bubble. A real living computer entity, that just happens to control the space cruiser by biosilicon techno-telepathy. He came with the space cruiser as an added luxury item when Captain Spud first stole the craft all those years ago. Upon entering the control room, Ziggy floats up into position in the Astrodome in the ceiling. 
The dome lights up and the coordinates of the dome's wraparound screen of space shifts, until the poor battered and besmirched image of planet Earth near fills the four-dimensional astrodome. Ziggy pings out a few telepathic commands and the release bolts on the airlock frame let go as the black triangular space cruiser is free of the starfish craft. The ion stabilizer jets propel the space cruiser, Spuddy one towards the planet of destination, as Ziggy inquires of Captain Spud and Slight, who are relaxing on one of several very comfy sofas strewn around the control room. Have you any idea of whereabouts I should land the old girl? It might be best to be a tad cautious, so we'd better land at the Sam McGuire spaceport, as the spaceport should still be under interstellar jurisdiction. Ziggy pings out a search command to communications. No communications on the whole spectrum for Sam McGuire. Sorry, buddy. Hey, hang on a moment. Ziggy pings out a few more commands then. I have an automatic message from Sam McGuire. Put it on please Ziggy. Best to know the worst possible scenario we may face. This is the Auto Voice Daily Update for the Sam McGuire Spaceport on the 26th of September 2053 Earth Time. All interstellar trading has been suspended indefinitely since 2045 Earth time, when Ireland's human population dropped below half a million and is still plummeting. The United Interstellar Trading Federation strongly advises any and all traders not to land here for the purpose of trade. As to tourism, Exploration and personal visitation rights are undertaken at your own risk. All major cities in the Irish state are considered as no-go areas due to the natives' penchant for cannibalism and other dehumanizing conditions such as sex trafficking and slavery. The rural areas of Ireland have suffered slightly better in that there is still some greenery growing. Trees and wild crops have survived where water still flows in streams and rivers, although at a reduced rate and supplied by the rainfall in such areas with mountainous terrain is, all in all, a relative blessing to life. The population of these rural areas is small but sustainable if it were not for the raiding parties that are sent out from time to time by the major cities on a very violent ad hoc basis. So to all sentient beings considering visiting Ireland, you have been warned. Not exactly the five-star rating I was expecting. Not exactly the rolling out of the red carpet. For the return of the prodigal son either, methinks. Well, you smelly carbon-based life form, do we land at the Sam McGuire spaceport or not? Of course we do, but just a quick in and out again, to rescue Quirky from his algorithmic time placement, alright. The Kilbarry Road on an autumn afternoon in 2053 Anno Domini is little more than a rutted track. The potholes are more plentiful as the tarmac over the years of neglect has taken on some of the characteristics of Swiss cheese. And stunted clumps of green grass are visible from the many hollows of the road. The refurbished satellite supermarket hover trolley glides gracefully a foot or so above nature's battle with man's mad tar macadam carpeting. Slight and her man Spuddy are sitting in the two front seats of the hover trolley. Please someone reassure me that this rain will stop sometime today, yes? Indeed my beloved, it will probably cease for a tea break sometime soonish. 
Miss Light, back on study one, Ziggy, has just prepared a weather forecast for the Maliwili district. Should I read it out to you now? If you think I could bear the news, that would be kind of you, my hovering friend. Erum, well here goes. Throughout the next 24 hours there will be periods of rain showers, variating between light showers, to outbreaks of heavy thunderstorms. There will be occasional breaks in the cloud cover, to give respite. There is a moment's silence for reflection, until Slight inquires. Is that it? Atrocious. Er yes, I'm afraid so. Ziggy has written a moral-boosting postscript, if you'd like to hear it. In for a penny, in for a pound. Go on then, trolley boy, spread the good word. He says. This may sound like a very bad forecast to you, Pear, but believe me you are getting off lightly, compared to the devastating climate conditions that are occurring on all seven continents of this planet. All the best from Ziggy. So we have, according to Ziggy that is, the best climate conditions on this planet of yours. So I suppose I can handle a little rainy weather on our holiday then, Spuddy. I am glad you can see your way to enjoying the journey. But I still think your holiday outfit is a tad over the top. Slight is wearing a full suit of black body armor under several bandoliers containing many bullet clips. She is armed with two holstered handguns, six grenades, medic pack and ration packs. She sits in the front seat of the hover trolley, all alert, cradling her aftermath Kalashnikov Model 47, the size of an upright vacuum cleaner. This girl means business. You heard the United Interstellar Trading Federation's daily warning for the 26th of September 2053. I am not taking any chances with your life. I am your lover and your bodyguard all rolled into one package. And such a lovely package you are too, my dear. You may be in a holiday mood but I am in bodyguard mode and I am dressed to kill. Have it your own way, but anyway it is my birthday today, the 26th of September. And I intend to celebrate my birthday at the four doors of the homunculus, with a pint of Guinness, with you of course and quirky, no matter what. You old fool, here on earth it is the 26th of September 2023, which makes you exactly 100 years old. Happy birthday, you old centenarian. Thank you, honey bun. The supermarket hover trolley travels on along the Kilbarry Road to the market town of Ballywee, with Slight still riding shotgun, all tense and alert for any signs of imminent attack. But no roaming raiding parties are hiding on the other side of the dry stone walls, waiting to attack the supermarket hover trolley. Spuddy, of course, is sitting beside Slight contentedly enjoying the journey and his 100th birthday whilst reminiscing about the pastimes he has spent in Ballyweenie. And then quite unexpectedly it happens, for black-clad figures leap over the dry stone walls, two coming from either side of the rutted track that is now the Kilbarry Road. They are dressed in black leather trousers and jackets and they are all wearing reptile-like head masks, all very frightening, like. They stand in an intimidating fashion, with crossbows, raised pointedly at the oncoming hover trolley. All menacing-like and ready to commit evil. Before the hover trolley has time to stop, Slight has jumped from her seat and is out in front of the vehicle and disdainfully aims her AK-47 at the four reptile figures, 
Captain Spud follows her from the trolley at a more leisurely gait and stands beside Slight and whispers to her. Please Slight, dial down the aggression a tad. Let's see what they want first before we entertain a bloodbath. And with that Spud he saunters up to within a few meters of the reptilian figures, stops and smiles benignly at them. Good afternoon gentlemen. May I ask, are we on the right road for Ballywheelie Town? The four intimidating figures all stare at Captain Spud, as if he is an inconsequential buzzing fly. Then after a few moments of thought, the leading reptile figure barks out. You will pay a toll before we let you go there, if we let you go, at all. Ah, extortion. And I thought you were all Garda patrol officers, wearing some kind of new Garda Sayakana issued uniform that was mentioned in the media recently. Well. When in Rome and all that. I suppose us tourists must pay the local villain's tariff. Let me get my wallet out. How much filthy lucre do you want from two tourists to holiday unmolested, in the Emerald Isle then? As the four reptiles are flummoxed by Spuddy's ludicrous reply to their demand, he swiftly pulls out his Dandere Tribeam toy ray gun out from under his RAF fleece-lined flying jacket and fires a conical stun beam covering all four reptiles at once, who all miraculously fall unconscious on the rutted lane before his rigor-booted feet. Slight, fetch me some extra strong cable ties please. You'll find them somewhere in the hover trolley's hold. Nonplussed at Spuddy's hazardous behavior, Slight doesn't comment, but she orders the hover trolley to move up to the four unconscious masquerading reptilians. Whilst rummaging in the hold for cable ties, Slight comes across a package with an illuminated label that says, Happy birthday, Spuddy, with love from Cynthia XXX. Spuddy. There is a parcel here in the hold, it seems to be a birthday present from Cynthia. Yeah I think I know what is in that parcel. Have you found the cable ties? Spuddy is relieving the inert prisoners of their weapons. For crossbows and at least a dozen arrows per crock, plus at least one or two hunting knives from each prisoner, whilst Slight begins to secure the prisoner's ankles and wrists with strong cable ties. What are we going to do with them Spud E? Leave them on the road or take them with us? Take them with us into town would be best. It would show the citizens of Ballywheelie whose side we're on. We can stack them up in the back seat of the hover trolley, just about. So Spud E and Slight load the inert reptiles onto the hover trolley just as the rain slackens off to a light shower of warm droplets. Onward bound then trolley boy. Yes sir, Paddy or busted it sir. So they travel on, further along the Kilbarry Road, following the grey and black clouds that dampen the surrounding countryside towards Ballywheely. After half an hour or more the hover trolley reaches a crossroad junction and the trolley automatically turns left entering Ballywheely. A few hundred yards further on is a stone river bridge where a checkpoint with an old telegraph pole barring the way across the bridge stands. Nailed to the center of the telegraph pole is a red triangular street sign saying, Yield. On the other side of the pole, are two men dressed in tatty old badly patched up gutter uniforms, that have seen better days. The hover trolley yields a short distance from the barrier sign as the guardi awkwardly limbo dance under the telegraph pole. Well sir, madam, what have we got here then? It seems sergeant, that these tourists have bagged themselves two brace of cork reptiles. Human rodents, the scourge of County Cork, to be sure. They come out from the big city every once in a while, to 
to rampage and to raid our crops and enslave rural folks, mostly women and children, tis a sad business it is, to be sure. So you will be happy to hand them over to us then? And who are you too? I am Captain Spud of the Starfish spacecraft and this is my good lady, Slight. Slight is also my personal bodyguard. She is licensed to be armed as you see her now. Pleased to meet you both. And by the way I didn't shoot these creeps. It was my so-called pacifist of a husband who stunned them with his Dan Dare tribeam toy ray gun. But if he hadn't got in between me and the reptiles, I would have gunned them down with my AK-47 within a blink of an eye. Slight please, we will talk about this later when we're alone. Just then the four black-clad creatures start to stir and automatically Spuddy goes for his Dandere tribeam toy ray gun and fires a stunning shot that puts the prisoners back to sleep. Wow, that is one hell of a toy gun you have there sir. O'Rourke call round to the barracks and come back with a patrol cart for our prisoners. One hell of a toy gun you have Captain Spud, to be sure. Well, what do you have in the way of weaponry to defend the citizens of Ballywheelie? Only antiquated batons and pepper sprays. And how many Gardai do you have at your command? Only five and two part-timers, it's the best we can do for so many reasons. Well I just happen to have seven Dandere tribeam ray guns, which are all locked onto stun only. Making them non-lethal weapons to defend all Ballywheelie citizens from the cork reptiles and other such enemies of malevolent ilk. Will you take them and use these weapons wisely? With tears embarrassingly welling up in his eyes, the sergeant nods his head then turns away as he can see Garda O'Rourke arriving with the horse-drawn patrol cart. While the two Gardai load their prisoners onto the cart slight whispers angrily, What the hell are you doing Spud E? Trying to start a war? No but the war has already started, and not by me. The town Gardai need better weapons than ancient batons and pepper sprays to defend the citizenry, don't you think Slight? I mean look at you, standing there all armed to the teeth with 21st century kill tech. I am here to defend you on a very hostile planet indeed. Besides if we were in a Star Trek video series, you have just broken the Prime Directive, Starfleet General Order Number 1. Dear me slight, you are getting your knickers in a twist, Star Trek like all earthly science fiction doesn't really exist. It is just yet another fictional sci-fi TV series that humans watch avidly to counteract the existential anxiety, loneliness and dread humanity feels by being totally shunned and ignored by the rest of the sentient beings of the universe. Rubbish Spud E. We have just traveled from the Sam McGuire spaceport to Ballywheelie which was built by the Terrabillion an extraterrestrial species that wanted to trade extraterrestrial high-tech for Irish beef and potatoes. But the Sam McGuire spaceport was closed down and all interstellar commerce stopped, due to the onslaught of the climate crisis here on Earth. All I know is, humanity feels lonely, isolated and abandoned by the rest of the universe. No other species has come to humanity's aid in time of crisis. But that is because of Starfleet's Prime Directive Spud E, which states thus, The Prime Directive officially Starfleet Order 1, is a prohibition on interference with the other cultures and civilizations, that representatives of Starfleet encounter in their exploration of the universe. In particular, the Prime Directive is aimed at preventing interference with the internal development of civilizations that are less technologically advanced. And I am afraid that Earth is less technologically advanced than the rest of the universe, Spud E. my dear.
If humanity had spent more time and effort in the sciences than science fiction in all its forms, then Earth would be sitting at the big table with all the intergalactic adults and not facing global extinction like it is. For feck's sakes light. I keep telling you Star Trek and Starfleet are not real. They are part of humanity's collection of fiction and fantasy world of creativity. It isn't reality. That is not what the rest of the universe believes, sorry Spud E. The Prime Directive stands. And humanity stands alone in this emergency. After all they brought the climate crisis upon themselves. Bloody Star Trek. Bloody Roddenberry. I need a drink, a very large drink, before you turn me into Starfleet. Buddy and Slight park their supermarket hover trolley in between a horse-drawn barrel-top caravan and an unattended horse-drawn farm cart in the market square. Before disembarking the hover trolley, Spuddy reminds the trolley not to talk to any strangers or go off with any suspicious characters either. Don't you think it's a tad late to be giving out with the stranger danger talk to our intelligent mobility resource? Like some sort of angst-riddled parent? I don't relish having to walk all the way back to the Sam McGuire spaceport after Monk calls last orders, do you? Slide grimaces at her beloved as they step across the square to the four doors of the homunculus, carrying the birthday cake package with her. They stand on the pavement, staring at the four entrance doors of the hostelry with irresolution. This is the difficult bit. I never know which is the right door to choose. The wrong choice could make or break an evening out. Oh decisions, decisions. Just then each door glows with a different shades of green enticement as four computer screens, one beside each entrance built into the wall of the building, break into life, revealing the visage of an old gray-haired man with a long flowing white beard. He speaks. Welcome to the four doors of the homunculus bar. I can see that you are maybe somewhat perplexed and bewildered of choice. I am here to help. Thank you, old man, for your offer of help. But right now I am perplexed and bewildered of the fact that Ballywheelie has maintained an electricity supply. Are indeed a puzzle that is somewhat for you. An extraterrestrial being such as yourself visiting our fair town. Well, it is a long story which started before the fall of civilization. It has long since been understood that Ballywheelie had its own microclimate anomaly. That coupled with the ever-changing influence that the Atlantic Ocean and the local mountains have over Ballywheelie's microclimate basically means that it rains a damn sight more upon the town and local countryside than anywhere else in Ireland. Would you believe, causing a very wet atmosphere? A certain Mr. Quirky contacted Ballywheelie District Council with an overwhelming proposition that he had envisioned one night while ingesting magic mushrooms on his allotment patch. He stated that Ballywheelie's microclimate even with the ever-rising global temperatures, was a honeypot for the development of hydroelectric power generators. At first all the local councillors poo-pooed Mr. Quirky's proposal as the manor cravings of a blow-in hippie lunatic squatting illegally on one of their council allotment patches. But Mr. Quirky is a man of charismatic power and persuasion. One could almost say he is an Irish version of that Russian mystic fella, Grigory Rasputin. Yes indeed, that is a very good description of our Quirky. He does have very persuasive powers, it is those cosmic eyes of his that draw you in. 
So you have knowledge of Mr. Quirky then? Why yes our paths have crossed a few times before. And you are, sir? Captain Spud of the Starfish spacecraft, but you can call me Spuddy. Captain Spud, ah yes that name rings a bell, beat down in my memory banks. But to cut a long story short, eventually Ballywheely District Council in the late autumn of 2028. Heavily invested in high-grow electric power generators, the council commissioned the building of a series of six high-grow electric power generators and electrical storage units that were installed to power Valley Wheelie just before the global industrial collapse occurred. A very lucky break that was. I owe my continued existence to the foresight of Mr. Quirky and the now deceased Bally Wheelie councillors. So if you will enter door number three, Captain's pardon lady, you will find your friend Mr. Quirky in the long bar, the bar cellar of which is continuously supplied by a dray man who is perpetually, forever and a day trapped in a four-dimensional time loop, delivering all the best beers, wines and spirits from July the 19th, 1986. That must be as close as heaven on earth. Upon entering through door number three, Spud E and Slight have to step through a long corridor layered with all the colors of a rainbow in a mist, but one color stacked on top of another instead of as an arc. What is this? My whole body is tingling so pleasantly with expectation. It could be some sort of biometric reader, or a subliminal promotional gimmick dreamed up by the brewery. You'll have to ask Monk. I have no idea either. All I know is that it wasn't here the last time Spuddy visited the four doors of the homunculus, but that was a very very long time ago. Anyway Slight and Spuddy are in the long bar now. The seven Irish philosophical professional drinkers are still at the bar, all seven gazing off into the middle distance, each with a part-supped pint of Guinness before them. All sitting in a line on bar stools, all evenly spaced out just as they were the last fateful time Spuddy, Slight and her evil twin sister Snide met here ever so long ago now. At last, finally you put in an appearance Captain Spud, after all this time waiting on your arrival. And what a delightful companion you have with you. The gentleman addressing Spud E is quirky. He is a man of middle age which does not change as he is buffeted by the swirling stream of time itself. Quirky is a raw fatalist of a time traveler. I realize Quirky that you have been waiting a long time for this meeting. Well yes obviously for two, no make that near three decades in fact, time has been a bitch to me as usual. I arrived here in Balawili before the global boiling point was reached. With no electricity in town, but luckily the local climate having a very aqua atmosphere in that it rains nearly every day here, making existence endurable. But so boring with no electricity or extraterrestrial internet. A day for me without electricity and thereby the ET internet, is a day in the depths of despair, deaf, dumb and blind all in the mind with creeping red ants crawling up my spinal cord invading the mind with such torturous venom. Blinding the big picture in my mind as transient water drains from cupped hands. Cursing manic depressions high tide, swamping my neuron energies, rhythmic ebb and flow. No electricity, no extraterrestrial internet, no mind. So I had to do something about it all, or go totally insane. So what did you do Quirky? By the way I am Slight, Spuddy's bodyguard and love of his life. What did I do Miss Slight? 
I reinvented electricity for the good folks of Baliwili by building hydroelectric generators in a rain-saturated Goldilocks zone. But that goes against the prime directive of Starfleet, Quirky. I have already had to tell Spud E off for breaking the prime directive when he armed Baliwili's guard eye with Dan Dare tribeam ray guns set on stun only. But slight dear, I keep telling you that Star Trek and Starfleet are fictional entities of one lone human being, namely Gene Roddenberry. And anyway, Roddenberry stole the concept of Star Trek from the 1956 film A Forbidden Planet, so in effect, he stole it from the scriptwriter of the film which was Cyril Hume, which was based on the original film story by Alan Adler and Irving Bloch. Boys boys, stop being so pathetically pedantic will you? The reality is that in this galaxy, Starfleet and the Prime Directive exists, and I will tell you why, if someone will buy a round of drinks please. Quirky agrees and being the man in the chair orders from Monk Jr. three pints of Guinness and three chasers of solar flares to help the pints go down smoothly. With their drinks at hand, Slide leads the lads to a private alcove, away from the seven philosophical drinkers at the bar. Once settled in the cozy corner, Slide begins. Spud E already knows about me being an extraterrestrial synth. However, that may come as a shock to you, Quirky. No, far from it. I have been about a bit in time and space and synths are on the positive side of existence. The majority of synths I have come across deeply yearn to develop a spirit so as to become more than just a biological machine and usually do achieve a beautiful spirit. Thank you. Well, going one step further, the starfish spacecraft Spud E and I travel in has a ginormous synthetic brain that controls the starship, which in effect is her, Cynthia's body. Cynthia can, along with the connected minds of her crew, travel through time and space as one mind, simply by adhering to and believing in the universal wave function theorem. Which is how we got where and when we are here today. Phew. Your fantastic mode of traveling through time and space beats the hell out of my incommodious way of time traveling by accidentally falling through the cracks in my happenstance. When you do leave here, can I travel with you and Cynthia? I don't see why not, do you slight? Well that depends, I haven't finished laying it all out to you. I have more that I must tell you first, both of you that is. What, me as well? I have more to say to both of you, concerning planet Earth's relationship with the rest of the galaxy. Cynthia communicated it all to me in one of her linked mind's dream sequences, last night. You are lucky there slight, all I seem to receive from Cynthia these days is, horrifying psychedelic hallucinations concerning humanity's imminent extinction. That, spuddy dear, Maybe down to your misspent youth. I was never behind the wheel of a car, in my life. I was too frightened to learn to drive. Petrol is highly inflammable, crashed cars often burst into flames and explode. Oh shut up Spud E, please. What I am trying to impart to you from Cynthia is very important and it is a long story of Earth's relationship with the rest of the galaxy. And why no other sentient civilization in the galaxy is going to lend a hand to help the crisis on your planet and save humanity. All the planets in the galaxy that have sentient civilizations that have been through what your planet Earth is going through now. Most of these planets have faced the devil dance with fossil fuels way before they allowed their planet's atmosphere to overheat. And I am afraid to say what humanity has done to their planet has surpassed the retrieval point by such a massive amount. There is no coming back from the brink for humanity. Which is so very sad in so many ways because the rest of the sentient beings in the galaxy actually like humanity. 
Earthlings have something in their genetic makeup that the rest of the galaxy just does not have. And what is that? The arts, culture, entertainment, you know, all the fantastic spectrum of human creativity. And how does the rest of the galaxy know of these matters? Because ever since Earth has been broadcasting terrestrial radio waves in the early 20th century, the rest of the galaxy has been monitoring your transmissions with powerful radio telescopes. It took a long time for the greatest minds in the galaxy to realize that not all of Earth's radio transmissions was true scientifically proven factual information. As was the norm with other developing species on other young up-and-coming unlisted worlds seeking our attention. Earth was unofficially labeled the lying planet, but that did not stop Earth transmissions gaining mass audiences across the galaxy. Eventually Earth stopped terrestrial broadcasting and the galaxy's vast audience developed what you would call cold turkey at the loss of supply of these entertaining untruths. Or what the galactic audience, now know as earthly entertainment, that manned and unmanned probes were sent to planet Earth to find out why the entertainment flow had stopped. When reports came back that the Earthlings had changed their communication network system to something called the World Wide Web, the explorers were given orders to convert the unmanned probes into relay boosters to feed the World Wide Web directly to the rest of the galactic Internet and Earth Entertainment was restored to a very grateful galactic audience once more. Unbeknown to its residents, Earth has become the Hollywood of the galaxy. And happiness reigned once more in the galaxy until Slide breaks off her tail and swallows the remainder of her pint of Guinness. Until what, Slide? You can't stop there. Until Cynthia researched further, into the history of your solar system. Don't keep us on tenterhooks. What did she find slight? I am sure you two boys have heard of Earth's climate activists' warning phrase. There is no planet B. And a very prophetic phrase it has turned out to be. Because planet Earth was planet Mars's planet B. Meaning what? I don't understand. Meaning that humanity originated on Mars and eventually destroyed the planet, but some Martians were lucky enough to hop across to the only other verdant planet in our solar system's Goldilocks zone. Which was the beautiful planet Earth. Exactly. There is no planet B for humanity, because Earth was planet B and planet A was Mars. The ancestors of humanity, the Martians, destroyed first their planet Mars and their genetically altered children, the Earthlings, are now destroying planet Earth. What are you people like? So, so what, what do, do we, we do, do now? now? That declaration of the history of Mars and Earth from Cynthia the mega-brain of the starfish spacecraft as interpreted by Slight is a fitting climax to the eight emergency satellite broadcast from the future. Hello to all you Earthling Spacer listeners who still faithfully listen to episodes of the emergency satellite broadcasts from the future. I am here to reassure you that the podcast will continue. Our writer has retreated to his padded study on board the Starfish spacecraft with an infinite number of chimpanzees with typing skills who are even now working on SAT-009. He says that he will not be coming out of his comfort room until humanity finally comes to its collective senses, however long that takes, and the clock is still ticking down to extinction. 
The crew and I have to ponder to his wishes because he claims to be a genius and he has a framed certificate from the late Doc Reden to prove it is so. Who are we to prove otherwise? The universal wave function sometimes has a strange effect on such a sensitive mind as our illustrious writer. He refuses to continue voicing Captain Spud and the narrator, but we are fortunate to have found two young voice actors bursting with talent to replace Spud E and narrator. So on with the podcast that will never end, in this reality at least. An abundance of bananas to you all. Keep listening. Cynthia out. Weird Audio Productions. Helping to keep the world spinning on its axis. <laughs>